Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. And so if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is The Addiction of Applause. The addiction of applause. And we're going to be in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. And Jesus is tackling this subject head on. And it's verse 6 of Matthew, or chapter 6, verse 1. It says this. It's just Jesus speaking. Quick verses, but I think there's a lot to unpack here. He says this. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Because if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, the context here is he's talking to people about, hey, this is how the posture of your posture of your heart should be when it comes to giving, being generous, praying, fasting. He talks about all these subjects in the Sermon on the Mount, but he's talking about giving. So he's saying, hey, when you give, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that when your giving may be, so that your giving may be in secret, then if we do this, if our giving's in secret, we have the right heart posture, the right motivation, then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And that is a promise from God that if we do things the right way, there is a reward from heaven that God wants to bless us with. And I believe that sometimes we forget that God's reward is better than the world's reward. And so today I want to help us just kind of navigate, how do we fight the idols of our hearts? This, this worshiping, this false, false satisfaction of people's praise. And I hope that there's some practical tips, but also I hope the Holy Spirit just speaks to you and helps you as we fight this together in Jesus' name. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for everybody in the building today. We know, God, that there's no accidents in the room today. There's no mistakes in the room today. That you yourself, God, brought everybody in this room to hear this message. Not to hear me, not to hear what I have to say, but for you, Holy Spirit. You want to change people's lives. You want to remind them that you love them, that you care about them. Maybe they've been, they've been, their whole life has been driven by what people think about them or the attention they don't get from people, and that is the basis of their happiness and contentment. But I pray that today, Jesus we break free from the addiction of applause and focus on worshiping you always and forever, Jesus. Pray for anybody in this room today that doesn't know you, doesn't have a relationship with you, Jesus. Pray that today would be the day they would make a decision and a commitment to follow you all the days of their life. So Lord, we love you and we thank you. And everybody said, amen Amen and amen. Maybe you're familiar with the actress, singer Judy Garland, maybe not, but the story of Judy Garland is one of tragedy. Her life, if you don't notice, she was an actress, a singer, and she was made famous because she starred in this classic movie called The Wizard of Oz. And during her day, during her time, she was the it girl. The fame, the money, the attention, the talent, she had it. But sadly, her life came to an end at the age of 47. And at that time when she died, the New York Times wrote an article that I wanted to share that I think as I read it, some excerpts from it, it'll resonate with many of us. And so the article starts by saying, London, June 22nd, 1969, Judy Garland, whose success is on stage and screen, 
were later overshadowed by the pathos of her personal life, was found dead in her home here today. Ms. Garland's personal life often seemed a fruitless search for happiness promised in Over the Rainbow, the song she made famous in the movie The Wizard of Oz. Her father died when she was 12 years old. The pressures of an adolescent stardom sent her to a psychiatrist at the age of 18. She was married five times. She was frequently ill. Her singing voice faltered. And she suffered from the effects of drugs she once, were, were, she once said were prescribed either to invigorate or tranquilize her. Her career was marked by compulsive quality that displayed itself even during her first performance at the age of 30 months at the new Grand Theater in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Here's how the story is told. She was singing the song Jingle Bells at a Christmas program. She responded so favorably to the footlights that her father was forced to remove her after she repeated the song seven times. She loved the spotlight. She loved the applause, the crowd participation. She's like, I'm gonna keep singing this song every day. I love this song. She repeated it seven times. But the other side of that compulsively vibrant, ex exhausted performances that were her stage hallmark seemed like an unquenchable need for her audiences to respond to her with acclaim and affection. And often they did. We love you, Judy. We love you. But later, towards the end of her life, she was quoted saying this. In the silence of night, I often wished for just a few words of love from one man rather than applause of thousands of people. Idol worship, this, this idea that if I have enough applause, then I can find true happiness. And as I read this article, I couldn't help but think, but many of us in this room can relate to her story. Famous or not famous, we can all agree attention feels good. Being noticed is a desire that we have, our, our yearning to be accepted, our inclination to be applauded, our desire just to be seen, idol of praise seeking. The truth is we're all born with an insatiable hunger to be noticed, to have attention, to, to, be, to be seen in this world, literally, literally out of the womb. Like I remember when my daughter was born, she was crying hysterically. And the reason she was crying is because she wanted to make sure that I'm crying so somebody can notice that I'm cold, that I'm hungry, that I'm scared, I want to be held. Can somebody notice? She's, you know, you know she, she had idols in her heart at a young age. She's a sinner, okay? We're praying that she's going to get saved one day and, and we believe baby dedications will start that track to salvation. But, but she, she wanted human approval. Like I, want, I need to be seen, I need to be taken care of and I have to scream to get attention. I'll do whatever it takes to be noticed. And if we can be honest, our hunger for attention and applause. Our, our worship of this idol can manifest itself in many different ways. We live a life trying to prove something to our parents or family members or siblings or coworkers, trying to prove that we have worth in their life or compete with them to, to prove a point that, that maybe we're better than them or, or can you just give me acknowledgement of, of how good I am because no one's ever told me that when I was younger. We, we act on thinking that if we post something on social media, the amount of likes or not likes will determine our happiness or contentment. On Facebook, if I post something on Facebook and nobody comments, I am a loser. This sucks. I don't, this doesn't feel good. I don't like nobody said anything. And we base everything based on what people like or post or comment or don't comment. And we find ourselves in this vicious cycle. If people applaud me for my works as I climb the, 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 the ladder, the corporate ladder of success, then people will see me and respect me because of my works, but not who God created me to be. So if I work for success, if I work for respect, then I'll be successful and I'll be valued. I'll have worth. I'll feel significant in this life if people 
notice me. But if we're not careful, we don't realize that as we're on this journey trying to listen to people's opinions and hoping that gives us happiness, we find ourselves prisoners to people's opinions. We're prisoners to their opinions or we're prisoners to their lack of attention that they've given us, whether it's parents, family members, co-leads, leaders, what, people in our life, if they don't give us attention, we're prisoners to them. We feel like if we get those things, we'll be happy. But in reality, what we're doing is we're going back to the hand that feeds us, hoping that they, if we continue to go to them for praise and applause, can make us free. But we're actually in the prison. It's like, how do we get here? What, what happened in my life that, 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 that brought me to this point that I thought I was going after happiness, but I actually feel like I'm in a prison? And the reality is what we've done is we've allowed the applause of people to be the fuel for our approval. That's a fuel for our life. Like we wake up and our desire is if I can be noticed by one person, then I've made it throughout the day. That if I, if I could, if my pastor, noticed, if my co-lead, if my connect, if they acknowledge me because of, look how, look how awesome I'm holding this door. If the pastor doesn't notice me holding the door, then, then it's, it's not worth serving at the church. We, we, we take all these things in our, it's our fuel. It's what drives us. I got to prove a point. I got to let people know that I'm existing. Even if I rebel or do bad things, at least people will notice me. And that's our fuel. It's the affection, the need of it that drives us every single day. I'm happy when I get it and I'm sad when I don't. And we become addicted to applause. And now that's our idol and we worship it, not, in a, not, like, not like how we worship here where we're singing some songs, but we worship it because our time, our focus, our energy is literally on if I can get attention or not. It's an idol. And Jesus knows the severity of this addiction. And if we're not careful, we will get ensnared and, again, stay in that prison that Jesus wants to free us from. So here in Matthew 6, he goes, hey, I'm going to share some things. I'm going to share with some people that are following me, that are listening to me, my disciples, and to all of us in this room to help us not get ensnared and trapped to the addiction of applause. And so Matthew 6, the context of what's happening is Jesus is preaching what, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. He's literally on a mountain, and he's preaching a sermon. That's literally what it is. And on that mountain, he's talking about several different things. But what to do when you give, praying, fasting, marriage, uh, the Beatitudes, all these ways of living. But he's saying it's not about doing these things. It's about doing them with the right heart. Everything starts with a, hot, a heart posture. And so when he talks about the giving, he says this in verse, says this in verse 1. He says, do not, be careful and do not practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. And when that word righteousness, what it is, if you want a, a basic definition, it's being and doing right in a moral way. So when you think of righteousness in the Bible and you see it in the Bible, think of this. Righteousness is having a right relationship with God, having a right relationship with people, and having a right relationship with the needy. God, people, and those that are in need. That I don't share my righteousness as something to be above people, but because I have a relationship with Jesus and he's made me righteous, I should be thankful and I should help others and the needy. It's not something to boast about. It, it marks me as a person. I'm righteous, not for my sake, but for others. So he's saying, hey, don't, don't, don't use your righteousness to, to boast in front of other people. Well, then what, is, what else is Jesus saying here that we need to learn in these verses? Well, I think there's three things that Jesus is saying in the first two. We're going to look at what he's not saying. The first thing is this. We can look it up. The first thing that Jesus is saying, he's not saying don't do good works. 
He's not saying don't do good works. He wants us to do good works. He wants us to give to the needy, to bless our church, to bless people of the city of Miami with our finances, to serve on Dream Team, that when the next city care comes up, we can all come and help, the, help those that need groceries, help those that, are, that, that don't get attention in the jail cells. Like we have jobs to do and it's not about us, but it's about helping people do good works, do good things. He's not saying don't. He's not saying, oh, well, you know, somebody else will handle city care. Somebody else will hold the door. Somebody else will do the, the worship. No, no, he's saying all of us have a part to play in society in building the church. Do good works. What else he's not saying is that when you do good works, hide them. And this was a little tricky because it's like, well, I thought we were literally talking about hiding them in this verse. Look what he says in Matthew 5.16. He says this, Matthew 5.16. If not, I got it on the iPad. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So he's literally saying, literally a chapter before, hey, do good works and let people see you doing good works. But he's saying, hey, don't let your righteousness be done in front of other people. So what, which one is it, Jesus? And here's the thing. This is, a, this is a dilemma that all of us have to face. What we do in public and in private or what we post in public and should keep private. Things that we got to be weary that if we don't make ourselves the hero of our own story. So whenever you feel like, okay, I feel like I have to prove myself to this person. Or I feel like I have to post on Instagram about this. Ask yourself this question before you do any of those things. Is what I'm about to post or say or do going to glorify God or is it going to glorify just me? I'm going to use God, but it really to give me glory. So people would see me. I'll mention God here and there, but it's really to see me. And so I can feel good. And so I can get the comments and I can get the likes and I can get the pat on the back and I can get the, the cheers and the hoorahs and all that stuff. What is your motive? And this is literally what Jesus is saying here. He's saying this, like all we have to do is make sure that when we do good works, we don't do it to show off, to look good in front of other people. That's the heart of everything. Jesus is checking our motivation when we do things. What's our motivation? You can literally do the right thing with the wrong motive and it's wrong. Like I can be up here and I think I'm doing something right. I'm preaching God's word. This is something we should be excited about, something we want to do. But I could come up here with a totally wrong motive for your applause only. That's not why I'm doing it, but I'm just saying it's an example. It's an example because it can happen so easy. We're doing something right, but it's the wrong motive. And because we don't really understand it's the wrong motive, we just keep doing it because it actually is right. Does that make sense? We can do good things with the wrong motives and still do things wrong. He's checking our, what, why do we do these good things? Why do we say the things that we do? What's our heart behind all this? And Jesus is saying this because he knows all of our hearts and all of our hearts crave attention. All of our hearts want applause. All of us want to worship the idol of praise seeking. So he says, hey, because I know your hearts, let me share some words so you don't get trapped into this and you get stuck in a cycle that it's going to be hard to break free from because you actually might think you're doing something right. It's not, like, it's not like an addiction that you know it's wrong. You can be addicted to doing something right with the wrong motive and you'll never know because you feel like it's right. So he's saying, be careful. And what we have to figure out, what we have to wrestle with is this question, if we're going to be free in the relationship that Jesus has for us, are we going to live every waking day making sure that we stay enslaved and trapped to the opinions of other people or do we live free knowing that the opinion of one man is the thing that matters? just one man and that, name, that man is Jesus that his opinion is the only one that matters because here's the thing the Bible tells us that we can be so easily enslaved to the attention of people look at Galatians 5.1 it says Christ Jesus has set you free if you have a relationship with Jesus you are free but you gotta you gotta make sure you stay free 
Like you have to make sure you're safer. How do you make, how do you make sure? Don't get tied up again in the slavery to the law. Meaning don't get tied up to doing things or working for love from other people. For, for working to the loves of your parents, the love of your kids. You work and work and work. There's this pressure and reality. That's working for the law. He says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift from God, not a result of works. It's not result of works. You know who did all the work? Jesus. Jesus literally says, I love you so much, you don't have to work for me. I'll do it for you. I'll come down. I'll live like you. I'll be a human. I'll experience sadness. I'll be betrayed. I'll go on the cross to prove to you I love you, and I'll do whatever it takes. But yet we so trade that away for like, oh, Jesus, that's cool, but I'd rather have applause from other people. Because we're addicted. We can hear the gospel. Jesus died for me. But I still believe that the world's applause is better. So really what I hope today is that we can understand that freedom begins when God's approval means more than the world's applause. Has to mean more. As, as much as it feels good and much I want to worship this idol, God should be the idol of our heart and the only one we worship and the only one we praise and the only one we should care about what he says or does not say because of what he's done for us. Send us on Jesus to do the impossible in our lives, yet we choose to seek satisfaction elsewhere and this I love this posture that we should have here in Psalm 118 6 through 9 says the Lord is on my side I will not fear what can man do to me the Lord is on my side as my helper I shall look in triumph on those who hate me and listen this is key it is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man it is better to take refuge in the Lord than trust in princes men will fail you politicians will fail you but Jesus will never fail you, not once ever in your entire life. And so find refuge, not in man, because you're going to get failure. Not in politicians, because they're all crazy. But why don't you put your heart and mind and soul on Jesus and Jesus alone and realize you have peace that you've been seeking for so long. And it was just because you were looking in the wrong direction and the wrong people. I love my wife. She'll fail me. She loves me. I'm going to fail her. But, but it's, it's, I know I'm sanctified. I understand mindset that I have to first make sure that I'm approved by God and everything else is a bonus. Every, I, I want to hear nice things from my wife. I want to make sure that my, my daughter grows up and is proud to have me as a father. That's awesome, but it's not my goal. It's not my fuel. I don't need their approval. I hope I get it because, I mean, she's my wife. But I'm just saying, like, I want to first make sure that I'm right with God and everything else is a bonus. Everything else is a bonus. Everything else is a bonus. And so there's three mindsets I want us to look at. When we feel like we're slipping towards this idol worship and we feel like addiction to, to applause and praise seeking and trying to prove our point and trying to get attention and all the wrong people and all the wrong places, these mindsets, we can break free from them if we do these three things and free ourselves from the praise or the prison of praise seeking. The first one is this. You got to hate hypocrisy. You got to hate hypocrisy. I know hate's a strong word, but we have a strong enemy. And here's the thing. The truth is, it's okay to hate things that affect your relationship with God. We don't hate people. We love people. It's literally the second greatest commandment. Love God, love people. We don't hate people. But if my marriage is important to me, I will hate pornography for getting into my marriage. I'll hate it. I don't want, to be, I don't want it to be in my marriage. I don't want to look at it. I want to be around it. I hate it so much. I will do whatever it takes to stay away from it. Does that make sense? That's the hate I'm talking about. And we have to hate hypocrisy because God created you. Like, he has a special plan for you. He's, he's designed you. Your identity is unique to only just you. There's no other you on this planet. Yes, people might like the same hobby as you, but you are, the, you are one of one. 
But it's hypocrisy changes that and twists that. Look, look what it, like, like here's, here's what Jesus is trying to get across. When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets. This is what he's explaining is hypocrisy. Back in the day, when you hear the word synagogue, think church. This is another a building where, where there is worship and there was teachings. And what they would do is there would be a giving box on the outside of the synagogue. And so what people would do is on their way to the synagogue, on their way to church, they would give their tithes and their offer. They would give their generosity in the, in the, in the gift box. The gift box was a, was a ram's horn. That's why it says trumpet because it was also used as a trumpet. And, and it, the ram's horns were out there so you can hear the coins and, and people would give. And what Jesus is saying, he's talking to the people that would do this. They would get ready to the church and they would come and you would hear them with their little coins. They're just making noise. Just making noise. Here you so you see that screen right there? I paid for that. You see that, that speaker right there? I paid for that. You see that seat you're on? I paid for that. Just want you to know here. And what they would do is they would get their coins and they would throw it in the ram's horn. And in the ram's horn, it would make noise. And they would keep doing it. And you hear all that noise? You hear all that money? Look at me. Look how generous I am. Look how, look how awesome I am. And Jesus is saying, that is a show. That's hypocrisy. We don't give for people to pat us on the back and say, hey, thanks for all your heart for the house money. No, that's not what we do it for. We do it because it's obedience to Jesus and it should be a natural spawn of our heart. And I don't care who notices. I don't care. But he's saying this is hypocrisy and we could do the same thing in our workplace. That our title gives us some power to be somebody that we're not and treat people how they're not supposed to be treated. Or in our marriage, like look at how awesome my marriage is. I don't need a marriage connect group. That's for other people. We're awesome. We're great. But in reality, that's the, that's the definition of hypocrisy. It even goes deeper. Hypocrisy, hypocrite in the Greek, in the original language here, it is an actor who plays roles and sees the world as their stage. An actor who wears masks. Hypocrisy is just wearing a mask, hiding the pain that you have from the, from the lack of attention that you've gotten in your life or from, from your workplace, from your boss from your family, from your friends, on social media. We mask ourselves. And what do, how do we mask ourselves? We mask our pain behind our projections. We project what we wish we had, even if it isn't really who we are. We become different people. And so what we do is, we'll, we'll, we'll go to this group of people right here. We don't really like them, but they give us attention. So we'll just be what they want us to be. Instead of saying, I don't care if I have five fake friends. I'd rather have one that really knows who I am and cares about me and prays about me and knows my struggles and doesn't judge me. Instead of saying, I'm going to be somebody else to approve, to, to well, get attention from people. I don't even like them. But, but that's what we do. We, we project what we wish we had, and that makes us become different people. What we'll do is we'll gossip about somebody's looks. But in reality, what does that mean? It's that we wish we looked like them. I'll, I'll talk about them. I'll, I'll demean them, but I'm projecting what I wish I had. Or we look at a sibling, a brother or a sister, and we see that they have all the attention from mom and dad. And so I guess for me to get attention, I got to do opposite of what my sister and brother, so I got to rebel. I got to lash out. I got to be seen. I got to make noise. I got to do bad things. I got to get bad grades and do all these things so somebody can notice me because being myself isn't working. We project, we project. But what if we could take the mask off instead of trying to project, we confess? Instead of projecting, we start confessing. Take the mask off and be who God created you to be. And allow who you are, who God created you to be, to attract the people that are going to help you instead of you trying to find attraction in other people. How do we do that? Well, the Bible is clear on this. One of the ways we can find healing from this hypocrisy and being somebody that God not, did not call us to be is found in James 5, 16. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other 
and pray for each other so that you may be what? You may be healed. You'll be healed. You'll have that, your heart, your broken heart will be healed. Your ego will be healed. Your, your lack of attention will be healed. That, that, that sin you committed by worshiping that false idol will be healed and God will be able to redeem you and bring you back into, your, into his holy relationship with him. Confess. Here's a beautiful thing. Jesus, we find forgiveness in Jesus. So I, I go, Jesus, I'm struggling with attention. I feel like I'm posting things with the wrong motives. I feel like I'm doing, I'm serving with the wrong motives. Lord Jesus, help me to repent. Help me to, I, I forgive me for all the sins I'm committing. He'll forgive you. But to be healed, you got to confess to somebody. And you should confess to godly people. You should have somebody in your life, connect group, somebody in your life, you say, hey man, I, you know what, I'm struggling. Something I posted, I don't really care about that. I just wanted people to like me. Hey, I, I've been being a little bit too competitive because I want people to notice how good I am. And, and, and so we do these things and we need people to say, hey, I'm, I'm struggling, can and you'll be healed. And guess what? That mask comes off. And you could be free to be who God called you to be. Not putting on a show, not being an actor for anybody. Being who God called you and, and created you from your mother's womb, formed you by hand for you to be. That's the most freeing thing that you can, that I wake up every day. I'm, this is who God created me to be. I'm walking in his path. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes, but I'm thankful that he gives me forgiveness and he gives me healing and I can live with peace. Second thing is this, don't settle for second best. He goes, he goes, do not announce it with trumpets as hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by others. Look what he says. Truly, I tell you, people that do that, they have received the reward in full. What's he saying? He's saying, if you're doing everything with the motive to get applause, guess what? You got it. You'll get it. But that's it. That's all you'll get. You got your like. You got your comment. You got your, you got your someone complimented you. Somebody validated you. You'll get the applause. Jesus said, they have the reward. That's what they, they did it with this motive. And guess what? They're going to get it. But that's it. And so if we're not careful, what we do is we trade something that in God is really great for something that only just feels great. And so I want to feel great instead of having something great with God. Because this feeling feels more real than what I have with God. And so it's like, God, I know what your word says, but I doubt. And so I go to these people because it's real, but in reality, it's not. Because what people say and people as we are as human beings are going to fade away. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1 through 24 through 25, it says, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever, forever. And I'd rather have something forever than temporary especially when it's from God, because I know it's going to be good. Instead of something that I know is going to feel good, but not last forever. And I'm going to have to go back to that person, that group of people, those, whatever it may be, I got to go back to those things and go back to that prison Jesus freed me from. So I'd rather have something that lasts. And if we're not careful, this is, this is why this is so important, why Jesus is so passionate about it on the Sermon on the Mount, is that we can literally, we can literally, if we're not careful, sell out Jesus for a brief moment of praise. For a brief moment of praise. I remember, I'll give you an example. I remember being 17 at a youth camp. I gave my life to Jesus. I go back to school and I'm, I'm a Christian now. So I don't talk the same way. I don't do the same thing. I don't listen to the same music. I listen to worship music now. And people notice and people would ask me questions. Hey, are you going to this party? Hey, why don't you, why don't you laugh at the same things you do? And I had to make sure in those moments, do I just say, nah, bro, that mom makes me go to youth group. I don't really care about that Jesus. You know what I mean? Like, I don't care. Like, I'm, I, like, like, and sell Jesus out just so I can feel protected by what people think about me. 
and I, I had I had more worse days than better days because I was young and I was scared. And at that time in my teenage year, popularity was a thing and, and being noticed was a thing. And so, but the thing is, even as adults, we can feel that in our workplace with our families that aren't Christians. Do we stand on what we believe? Or are we just saying, oh, you know, Jesus, you know, I worship him every once in a while, but it's really the songs are catchy. That's why. No, stand firm in your faith. Like you made a decision, stick on it, commit on it, and believe that what Jesus did for you is for real. It's, that we don't have to play games. I don't care what people think. All I care about is what Jesus thinks of me because what Jesus thinks of me gives me peace. It gives me love. It gives me grace. It helps me walk through every single day when I feel alone. I don't, I don't need what the world has to offer. I don't need it. Though it feels good, we can all agree, but I don't need it because when this world goes away, what will be standing in front of me is Jesus himself. Forever. Forever. And I'm going to I'm gonna have to answer for my thing, for what I've done in this life. And I never want to sell out Jesus for a brief moment of applause. Mark 15, it gives an example of somebody who did that. Pilate, Pontius Pilate, had a moment to free Jesus, to do the right thing. Jesus was going to end up, he was going to end up on that cross regardless. Because that was the plan. That's what God's plan was. But I believe Pilate could have done what was right and done what he should have done to free Jesus. But he didn't. Instead, look what he did, Mark 15, 15. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released a bona fide murderer to them. Freed him. We're gonna, this murderer, we're gonna free him and we're gonna put Jesus to be flogged and hand him to be crucified. Pilate chose the crowd over Jesus. We gotta make sure we don't do the same thing. Reminds me of a story of a professional violinist and He's throwing this concert. It's been built up for months and the concert finally comes and he puts on a fantastic show. He finishes his set. People are on their feet, standing ovation. And the crowd's went crazy. This guy walks off stage, his violinist, and he's, he's crying. He's, he's got his head down and the stagehand goes up to him and goes, hey man, um, do you not see all these people that are clapping for you? All these people that came here to see you. To, 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 to like literally like praise you. You put on a great show. You deserve this applause. He goes, yeah, yeah, I guess you're right. But, but here's the thing. Do you see that one guy sitting? That one guy sitting is my dad. And he's my violin coach. And if he doesn't stand, I don't really care if a thousand people stand. I don't care if 2,000 people stand because my dad's word is all that matters. And if God doesn't applause when he sees your life and how you live, then it doesn't matter what everybody else does. I want to live my life making sure God looks at my life and says, hey, you're doing right by your wife. You're raising your daughter right. You're doing right with the leaders. You're building the church. You're treating your mom right. You're treating your dad right. You're helping the poor. You're helping the sick. I don't care what other people think. And guess what? That's how we find freedom. That's how we find freedom. The moment you say, I don't care anymore. I don't care anymore. And all I care is but God is applauding me and my life and how I live. His applause. His opinion was it's what matters to me. I'll finish with this. I'm sorry I'm over time and I'll, I'll get reprimanded for it later. It's fine. I'll, I'll fix it. I'll do it. But the last thing is embrace secrecy over spotlight. The Bible says, Jesus says, hey, make sure your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. And literally what that means is like you get so transformed by Jesus, you're no longer doing things for the wrong motives. You're just serving because it's just what you do. I go to city care because that's just what we do. 
I don't need somebody to tell me what date it is. I have it on my calendar already. I don't need my dream team uh, co-leader, team lead to remind me 24 times. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to serve. It's natural. And when we do that, we find the presence of God so tangible. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says, this, keep, this, keep the thing so secret that even yourself are hardly aware that you're doing anything praiseworthy. Like serving God, yes, we thank all of our dream team members. When it comes to your personal life, don't do it for praise. You're doing something that you're, you're commanded to do in the Bible. Like it shouldn't be praiseworthy. It's like, this is what we do. And when you do that, you let God be present and you'll have enough of an audience. That's all you need. The secret place is the most beautiful place to be to serve from. I don't need the spotlight. I don't need to be seen. I don't need people to know who I am. I want my life to point to Jesus always. And the best thing is, is Jesus knows our heart. And here's what he says. He goes, if you do things the right way, guess what? You are going to get rewarded. So the choice is you can get rewards of the world. As we know, those fail and those, those are fleeting. Or you can get the reward I have to give. And here's the thing, it sounds self, self-service, right? Like, I don't really want to serve for a reward. But Jesus is telling us, if you do, I'll give you a reward. It doesn't say what it is. If someone said, like, Lord Jesus, if you can give me a Tesla, Lord Jesus, bless you, baby Jesus, everybody Jesus. It's like, no, that's not how it works. But it'll give you something that you need because it's a reward from heaven. And anything from heaven is a gift. And so do things the right way with the right motivation and you'll get the right reward every single time. And you'll break free from the prison of addiction of applause. Stand up to our feet as we wrap up service. Just feel like, just like at the 9 a.m., the, the presence of God is here. I feel like he's speaking, he's moving. And again, I, don't, I believe it's not my words or what notes that I had. I just believe that something just dropped in your heart that is from heaven, that God is speaking to you. God is trying to change things, move things around. Don't fight it. Don't, don't go against it. God's doing something amazing in your life. And real quick, I want to I just take this moment and pray for two groups of people. One, we pray for every Sunday, and that's for those that don't have a relationship with Jesus. But the first one I want to pray for, the moment I started preparing this message, I just felt on literally on Wednesday afternoon, I felt like I just felt the Spirit tell me I need to pray for people that didn't grow up with fathers. Because I feel like everybody who didn't grow up with a father, this message affects you the most. It's because not having a father where you're not taught certain things you don't have the the god god's plan for for families and society the the man the father of the home he wasn't in your life and maybe he abandoned you maybe he died and there was tragedy but you never grew up with a father you never had the daddy daughter dates you never had going to the sports game and having your dad take you and having those moments those those one-on-one talks that that affection that a father brings a hug from a dad it's been missing from your life and you feel like there's this hole in you and you've been trying to fill it with applause from other people. I just feel like I just, again, nothing I can say can fix you or, or help you, but I really believe that I just want to pray that the Spirit of God will remind you that your Father in Heaven is not like your earthly father. It's not, not even close, not even close. And that a relationship with your Heavenly Father, you can be reminded that He'll never leave you, He'll never forsake you, he will do whatever it takes to bless you, to help you, to encourage you, to, to strengthen you, to mature you. And you can leave here knowing that I could be redeemed of a, of a past mistake. So you're talking to one of our dream team members outside of that service, and he was talking about, I like, feel that, that spoke to me. And I look at his life, and he has, he's married, and he has a daughter, and I'm like, man, God redeemed your life because now you can, you can fix the wrongs of the past, and you can raise that little girl up, and God's using you to make sure that she never knows what it's like to not have a father. God could do that in your life. He could redeem what the devil tried to take from you. 
So with every eye closed, every head bowed, this is a moment of privacy. If, if you're saying, Phil, that's me. I, I, I didn't have a dad growing up. Or maybe you have a dad in real life, but, but he's not around. And I just need that encouragement from the Holy Spirit today. I need that reminder that God loves me. If that's you, can you just put both hands up so you can just apostle to receive, just to receive this blessing. It's, again, my wish is you and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, have your way. Holy Spirit, you see these hands that are up. Holy Spirit, you see every single one of their lives. God, in the secret place, you see us. In the secret place, you see these men and women. And I just pray right now that they would just be encouraged in their soul, that you love them, that you care for them, that you're for them. That, that what happened between them and their dad is not their fault. And you want to redeem their life. You want to, you want to bless them. You want them to be fathers to those who are the fathers. You want to use them to change this city. But it starts with them. I just pray they'll be encouraged, God. Your word says that you're, you're close to the brokenhearted. You lift the head of those that are crushed in spirit. And I just pray, Holy Spirit, you will start doing a work. Encourage, Holy Spirit. Speak, Lord, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jorman, I don't know what, what happened in your past, bro, but every Tuesday at staff, your name is always up on shout-outs, always on shout-outs. And it's because how you love the kids of this house and that you are literally a father figure to so many kids in this house. I just really believe that God is using you to be the father of so many that are hurting, that are so broken, that, that don't know what it's like to have a godly man in their life. And I know there's things in your life right now, you know, again, may not be perfect, but you stay on that path. You keep on going. You keep on watching out for the ones that aren't loved, that don't have a voice. And you keep walking in that path. And you don't doubt it. Don't second guess it. God is going to use you. He's going he's to provide more influence for you. He's going to draw more students onto you. And you walk in that boldness. You're an awesome dad. You're a great father. God's telling you you're a great father, bro. You're an amazing dad. group of people and, and then we'll go to baptisms but I just want to pray for those that maybe you're not a Christian you've never made a decision to follow after Jesus you, you've you've been walking on this earth and maybe you've been to church maybe you've heard of Jesus maybe not maybe you're a full-blown atheist that's okay we're glad that you're here I want to give you an opportunity though to, to have your life radically changed for the better say Phil what do I need to do I feel like I need a, I need a, I need a brand new beginning I need a brand new start what what is it I'm ready I'm ready to go what do I need to do well, first and foremost, starts with a relationship with Jesus. You got to surrender your life. You literally have to give your life and put it in the hands of Jesus. Jesus, He paid the ultimate price. You have to understand when you were born on this planet, not only were you seeking attention, but you were a sinner. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. There's nothing that we could do. Doesn't matter how good we are. Doesn't matter how many followers we have. Doesn't matter how much money we give to charity. We are still destined without Jesus to one place and one place only. And that place is not meant for us to go. Jesus wants us to be in heaven for all eternity. He wants us to know what it is to have a loving Father in our lives. So what did he do? He sent his son Jesus died on the cross for you and for me. To, to die in our place, because it was meant for us. Jesus on that cross, he's abandoned, he's, he's humiliated, he's, he's beaten, he's, he's torn to pieces, his hands nailed, his feet nailed. He dies on that cross, they get his body, they put him in a tomb, and for three days he's buried. And it looks like all hope is lost. But guess what? On the third day, our Bible tells us that Jesus defeated sin, defeated death, and he rose from the grave. And we believe that he's alive today. He's speaking. He's moving. He's helping people, and he can do it for you today. But you got to surrender. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, one last time, I promise, 
If you want to give your life to Jesus in this place, I'm not going to call you. I'm not going to put a mic in your face. I'm not going to tell you to come up here and tell me your story. I just want to, I want to see who I'm praying for. You want to make a decision to give your life to Jesus. On the count of three, you lift up your hand. One, two, three. You lift up your hand. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you, man. I got, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see you, man. Awesome. Awesome. God bless you. God bless you all the way in the back. I see you, brother. I see you guys. Incredible. I see you, man. I see you. Awesome. Praise Jesus. For every hand that was raised, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And this is you talking to Jesus. This is you talking to your heavenly father. He's so pleased with you. So in love with you. And it's a repeat after me prayer. And this prayer, it, it, it's, it's, I'm helping you facilitate this. But, but it's, Jesus is listening to your voice and your words. So it goes like this in church. Let's say this with our brothers and sisters. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, I thank you and I love you. And everybody said, come on, can we celebrate all those hands that went up? Yeah. Amazing. Hallelujah. Hey, so many hands. Again, I'm going to try to be brief because again, I've gone over time. We got to get the baptisms. But if you raise your hand and you're wondering what your next step is, we want to give you a free gift. We want to make sure we get a Bible in your hand. And this Bible is free 99. There's no, there's no strings attached. We want to get one for you. It's going to bless your life. It's going to, we're going to, it's going to literally change your life. Get one of these. Hang out with us at baptism. Don't run to your car. Get one. Get in a connect group. They'll give you all the information at the connect tent. But get a Bible. It's going to bless your life. Come on, let's make our hands one more time.